welcome back to another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. Now, I know that I said that this episode would be with Lauren um, and that we, we would be back for our normal freewheeling news and chat about women's cycling, but... I got an opportunity to sit down with Ashley Moenpasio of SD Works and the first ever eSports Cycling World Champion. And although it wasn't the regular in-person interview because we had to wear masks the entire time and had to sit three meters apart and um, really, you know, be cognizant of, of COVID, Um, it was the first time that I've gotten to interview someone in person in a year. So it was really an awesome experience and uh, something that I forgot how much, how much joy can come from, uh, just chatting with someone and, um, how much more people open up when, when you can see their well eyes, um, because we were wearing masks, but we had an amazing conversation about, Zwift and e e racing in general, and and the the possibilities that e racing has, and I was interested to find out that Ashley wasn't a fan at all of riding riding on, on the trader in the beginning, and for years kind of avoided it, and uh, and has really done an about face when it comes to her opinion of esports and the possibilities that they that they kind of provide to to women in general um and i mean to to the world um and also we talked a little bit about her new team sd works and honestly we could have just kept going for for hours and there were so many topics that we didn't get to talk about so i really hope that you enjoy this interview with ashley Moenpasio, and i really hope that um I can talk to her again because we we didn't even get into her growing up in in South Africa and and um, finding bikes and stuff. So yeah, a lot still to cover. But for now, here is the episode with Ashley Moenpasio. Hi, hi. It's great to have you around. So we are sitting here in Rockacorba Cycling. Your, how would you describe this place? Well, I mean, uh, Rock Corp Cycling is actually my home, um, but it is also our business. Um, so yeah, it's a really um, unique, historical Catalan estate, I would say, rather than just a, a villa, because we actually have three villas on the property. Um, at the moment, uh, two of the villas have been you know, fully renovated, uh, one is a five-bedroom all-on-suite, and the other one is three bedrooms um, with three bathrooms. And that's our guest accommodation at the moment. And so we have accommodation as well as um, bike rental, um, guiding, dinners, breakfasts on site. Um, you know, basically, our aim is to become kind of a premium destination, cycling destination. Um, and then the third villa, which is kind of the big manor house, which we're sitting in at the moment, um, it's currently um, our home, my husband and I, and um, we're busy at the moment planning the next phase of renovations, which will turn this manor house into a 12-bedroom um, hotel. Oh, cool. Yeah, I got a little bit of a tour before we started recording, and it looks like, so downstairs is kind of turning into a cafe for like roll in, grab a coffee, roll out. 
Yes. And a restaurant out back with yes. the, the food truck and stuff. Well, the food truck's actually going to change location to um, a little bit further out on the field. Like as you come, you drove in and you parked under like a shed. Um, mm-hmm. So the idea for that shed is that it's going to become like a open sort of studio space for um, yoga or some kind of classes. We also have plans to start a, um, a farm-to-table concept here. So we have a lot Ooh. of farmland as well. So Carl's busy studying a course at the moment about sustainable farming. So we want to start growing our own vegetables and some more fruit trees and stuff. And then we'd have like a, a shop, you know, for the locals to come in and buy um, produce um, from us directly. And the food truck would be located closer to that. Um, and then, you know, the restaurant space that you, you were shown that would become a proper, you know, uh, restaurant, cafe, you know, to serve breakfast for the guests in the morning, but then also lunches and dinners and be open to the public to come come in as well. Wow, so lots of plans. Big plans. <laughs> How long have you been kind of concepting this? Like, when did you start? Yeah, so it kind of all happened pretty fast, I'd say. So Carl and I came um, to, to Girona um in 2012 um you know we had previously lived in italy for two years um carl has italian um heritage you know so we have italian passports um and it was sort of the natural fit when we when we decided to make a career of cycling to to go to italy um and yeah we spent two years there and it was really beautiful northern italy varese area lago maggiore um really beautiful and you know awesome to experience italian lifestyle but essentially we just really struggled to fit in you know or to we just didn't see how we were going to build you know or integrate into the community as such so we (laughs) sort of felt like foreigners you know and you can't be tourists forever you know there has to be some kind of quality of life or balance in life and so that's when we started looking elsewhere and we just you know stumbled across Girona. um but Actually, we've never lived in Girona, the town or city. You know, we've just, we've always lived in Banyoles. And the reason for that at the time was because Carl actually comes from a triathlon background. So he was hoping to get back into triathlon um, and there's a lake here. So that's how it kind of happened. But we're pretty happy with the way it's happened. And, you know, we, we don't really have any interest to go into Girona. Um, we like the laid back sort of lifestyle that Banyales presents. And when we arrived here, um, we were actually, you know, we immediately sort of got in touch with a, a, a business that's been around for quite a while here called Girona Cycling. Um, and they're a villa or masia also running cycling tourism. And so we were exposed to that pretty early on when we arrived here. Um, they helped us find an apartment and get settled in. And you know, immediately, I actually come from growing up in South Africa on on a big family farm as well. So immediately, these sort of country stone villas, they, I don't know, they just, they struck a chord with me. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I really loved, you know, that kind of, you know, lifestyle and, and the nostalgia of it. So, you know, there's always that kind of dream at the back of my mind, like, oh, you know, one day it would be wonderful to, to own one of these country um, villas, you know, and possibly do a similar business. But, you know, that obviously wasn't going to happen at that time. And so throughout the space of time that we were here, you know, I was pursuing my professional cycling career. And Carl was, you know, he tried to, to make a career as first triathlete, get back into that. That didn't kind of, kind of work out. So he tried to get back into pro cycling, but he was just too old at the time, unfortunately. You know, he actually does have the talent, but it just never worked out for him. And so then he started dabbling sort of in working in women's pro cycling so he started off as a mechanic you know for the Savello Bigler team 
And then he he got sort of promoted um, on the team, but then we just sort of realized it wasn't really working so well, you know, him and I working so closely um, mm. in professional women's cycling. So we started looking for other opportunities. And it's actually quite strange because, you know, I still to this day have the dream or ambition of having my own, own women's team, you know, mm. and so that's where the dream kind of started. We were like, oh, well, we need to start our own women's team. But then I've also always been thinking, um, you know, about how to make cycling you know a more sustainable business model how do we how do we create a more stable environment in professional cycling and so you know i've always been thinking about how to kind of diversify in terms of of a professional women's team and so for me it's always been the solution has always been in linking the dots you know so Mm -hmm. between the different parts of the industry so professional cycling cycling tourism events you know, I kind of feel like they operate too independently and that the um, future of the sport is in bringing those those different um, aspects of the industry closer together. And so that was kind of the idea, you know, women's team, um, a cycling tourism business, and that there would be some links between the two. So a service course, for example, for the women's team. And so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the drive was actually to get a team together, but it just turned out that things worked out the other way around. So... It was actually in 2017 that my dad um, came and spent quite a lot of time um, in Spain because he was taking a sabbatical from work and um, he quite enjoyed being out here, you know, being in Europe, being able to see uh, more of me and watch some of the racing. And so he started to display interest in property in Spain. Um, And that's when we started looking, you know, Um, and things happened much faster than what we thought. You know, my dad retired much earlier than I ever expected. Um, You know, he was really pushing. So, you know, together with him, it was more viable for us to to look for a property um, of this nature. And we stumbled across Can Campulia, which is the historical name um, of uh, Rocacorba Cycling. And I just fell in love immediately. You know, I walked through the archway into the stone courtyard and I knew this was it, you know? And so it's kind of strange how things worked out. In the end, we got the property and the cycling tourism business before we've ever managed to get the pro team to use it as a service course. And whether that (laughs) happens or doesn't happen, we'll just have to see, time will only tell, but um, I'm pretty happy with where we are right now. So to have your own women's team at some point is still kind of in the back of your mind. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think the big reason why is that, you know, and when I first got into professional cycling, I got into it a bit later in life. So I'd already studied. I was qualified as a chemical engineer. And directly after I studied, I finished my studies, I came over to Europe um, to pursue a career as a professional cyclist. And so there's always been that aspect of me or my character where, you know, I my brain is always working. Um, and... I I found in the early years of my professional cycling career, I found it quite frustrating to be um, in an industry where there was such a big, you know, uh, so obvious the inequality. Coming from studying engineering, which is actually quite a male-dominated field as it is, you know, I felt frustrated because, you know, as, as an engineering student, yeah, I might have been a minority in my class, you know, most of, of my my classmates were, were men, but there was never this feeling that we were looked upon differently or that we deserved less. You know, I'd really well t- with my, my male classmates and we'd often study together and help each other out, you know. So although I was a minority, I just didn't feel that frustration, you know. And then coming into professional cycling, immediately that frustration was there, you know, that 
his women just didn't get equal um, opportunity and, uh, as the men. And of course, it was really hard for me in the early days of, of my pro career. You know, I had to try and make a living or sustain my lifestyle in Europe without earning any salary from from European teams. You know, I mm -hmm. was literally just getting an opportunity to ride here. So I had to be super creative about how I managed to get money from South African endorsement deals or riding for South African amateur teams while my priority was were actually in Europe, you know. So there was this constant kind of frustration. And in the early part of, of my career, it was a frustration, you know, like I kind of felt like, you know, this is unfair. I felt like a victim, you know, mm. and I was hitting my, my head against the wall every time when you think, but it should be like this and it just isn't, you know. And so after a few years of this frustration, which um, was actually not very productive, you know, it wasn't great for my career. Um, I started thinking, well, how do I change change this into something that's more productive for me in terms of my personal energy? And so I started to realize that the only way to do that is to is to lead by example. So in, instead of focusing on what isn't there and what's wrong, to look at how I can do things slightly differently to lead by example and to improve my situation and hopefully improve the situation of others. And so that's kind of been my philosophy ever since. Um, instead of fighting um, the, the, the norms or the politics, I try to look for the gap, you know, in, in, and how can I lead? And so that's where I suppose the idea of my own women's team came in because then I felt like, you know, I could be on the forefront of sort of influencing change and all the ideas that I have in my mind about how the business, business model should um, evolve, you know, I could actually implement it, you know, and be an example. Um, but yeah, it's proven quite challenging, you know, to, to be full-time pro and then to have a cycling tourism business and at the same time to be looking to launch uh, a women's team. So I've kind of decided I need to focus on on my pro career uh, right now and on this business and hopefully once I've retired and I have more time to go and, you know, look for sponsorship and to to actually, you know, spread my ideas myself, that's maybe the only time that I'd be able to really get the sponsorships to, to do my own women's team. But in the meantime, it isn't stopping me from launching my own esports team. <laughs> so that's what I'm working on at the moment. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, because you became this this year just like what a month ago, two a month and a half ago, the first ever esports cycling world champion, which was really cool to watch. <laughs> like honestly, nice. I have been getting more and more into watching the Zwift races and I find them so fascinating, like the, the power-ups and everything. And tell me a little bit about that, about in the beginning, did you always like the Zwift racing or is it something that grew on you over time? So in the beginning, I absolutely hated training indoors. So very much like most <laughs> of, of the road pros, I really avoided it at, at all costs. And um, I mean, I think the big reason why I, I didn't enjoy it and found it so frustrating is that um, I, I am somewhat of a perfectionist when it comes to training. So um, if I'm prescribed certain training um, efforts and at certain powers, you know, I really want to hit those powers. And um, indoor training, you know, I just found this was very difficult, you know. So mm -hmm. um, I'd usually choose to always go training outdoors, you know, especially when I was doing intervals, even if it was raining, you know, it, it would take a lot to get me on, on the indoor trainer. Yeah. And then um, I was first exposed to um, to Zwift at the end of 2018 because 
actually Swift used Rockacorba Cycling um, mm. as a location for a training camp. And so it was a training camp, you know, people through a series of um, competitions won, you know, an opportunity to, to do a training camp here. And they had the Swift coaches, which is Matt Rowe and Greg Henderson, um, um, come out and they would do indoor training in the mornings. Um, exactly where I do my Zwifting, you know, mm -hmm. so it's in the same location in the building. And then in the afternoons, they'd go out um, to train outdoors. And I think the whole idea around it was to kind of show people that there is a, there is a connection, you know, you can do indoor and outdoor can complement one another. Mm -hmm. And so this was the first time I was exposed to Zwift. And it was a really cool camp. I mean, Zwift the people involved in the company and just the ethos it's a super cool environment you know and so it was really fun having them around and you know um, we would go watch the Zwifting upstairs and we'd join them outdoors and we'd do dinners with them and socialize it was a lot of fun but you know I looked at it I thought well yeah it looks pretty interesting <laughs> for an indoor platform but yeah. I don't really see why I'm gonna want to use it you know anyways they left a setup here for me so I had a great smart trainer and a massive uh, flat screen TV. So I had the perfect Swift setup, you know, mm -hmm. just waiting for me. And um, since they left, you know, in December 2018, I think maybe I've used it twice you know, <laughs> after that until the COVID pandemic hit. Um, and in Spain, you know, things escalated pretty fast. You know, I suppose we were all living in some kind of you know, denial for quite a while. Um, and even when it hit Italy, you know, for some reason, I didn't, I didn't ever think it was going to hit us here in Spain, but yeah, <laughs> it happened pretty fast. And I remember going to my physio on the Friday, um, and you know, we were talking and there was this rumor that, that this lockdown is going to happen in, in Spain as well. And literally by Sunday, it was full lockdown. So it was a fast turnaround, 48 hours. And so, you know, we were all thrown in the deep end. Well, what do we do? Stuck indoors. Um, so I really only had one option. Um, and I had this amazing sort of setup just waiting for me. So I thought, well, now I'm going to have to use it. Um, and I suppose it's just kind of the mentality that I've developed over the years that, you know, I could make my life difficult by resisting it or I could do my best to embrace it. And so I decided to give it a real chance and I must say I, I I think I also have to give credit to my coach um, you know I just started working with um, a new coach at the end of 2019 um, Dan Lorang he's actually coach head coach for Bora Hansgrohe mm. and so I had realized over my career that there were some things that I needed to work on in terms of, of weaknesses and, um, you know, after chatting to a couple of coaches, I realized that, that Dan really, he really knew, he managed to figure it out pretty fast. What I was feeling was lacking, you know, what he said scientifically to what I was feeling, it made a lot of sense. And so, um, yeah, I was pretty motivated, um, obviously having him on board and knowing what my weaknesses were and what I needed to work on. I kind of felt like if I just threw in the towel, because the racing wasn't going to happen and we didn't know when it was going to start again and just decided, well, I'm just going to take time off. I was going to lose time. You know, I'm not getting, I'm not getting any younger, you know, so I don't have a lot of time on my side. So I thought, well, I have the time now to really focus on working on, on some of these weaknesses and, and being productive in the downtime. So I chatted to Dan 
And, you know, I shared with him my frustrations around indoor training and how I found it so difficult to get the same numbers. And, you know, we reasoned through it and he agreed, you know, that this, this is very realistic and can certainly be the case. So let's drop your threshold power to begin with. So he decided to make the training more attainable for me. So we dropped it, my threshold power by 20 to 30 watts and I got onto the indoor trainer. And the first session I did um, was actually intervals on my time trial bike. And even then, I got onto the smart Oof, I mean, you went off in like... <laughs> Straight into the intervals, right? And, and I, on the TT mode. Like... T- yeah, I know. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm a sucker for punishment, right? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Anyways, I, I, was still, I still had my reservations around Zwift because I thought, well, how do I do intervals on Zwift? It's a social platform, right? Yeah. That was my first impression. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm just going to get on the indoor trainer and do my, my session, you know, and it was that, you know music in the ears, just on the indoor trainer, smashing out these intervals. <laughs> and I got off and I'm like, oh man, another two weeks of this. How am I going to get this done, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, the next day um, I got an invite on Zwift to join some Italian pros, you know, on a meetup in New York, the virtual world of New York. <laughs> it was a banded ride, you know? So I thought, okay, well, let me give this a shot. And I joined them and so Oh, okay, this is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all in our homes wherever in the world, and you know, we're in this virtual world of New York, and it's quite social. You know, mm-hmm. makes the time go by a little bit faster. True, especially yeah. if you like tape over the little. I tape over the time bar. <laughs> yeah, like that's how. And then I like untape it. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's been an hour. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that was like, okay, now I'm warming up to this. Let's see. You know, and so. Then the next interval session, I I tried on Zwift, you know, and at first there was still frustration because I found it difficult to execute because I had some talk intervals, for example, and Mm -hmm. I felt like, how am I going to get this low cadence work in in this virtual world? I I just can't get it done. And then I had another positive experience again with a social ride, you know, and so it was this yo-yoing, you know, oh, this is frustrating. Oh, okay, this is quite cool. (laughs) Um, And as time went by, you know, uh, the muscle doms were for sure there, yeah. so that didn't change. It was really hard. <laughs> but, you know, getting embracing the social aspect, starting to explore Zwift a little bit, then learning how to use Zwift better. So, for example, you know, in the real world, if I go do intervals, I'm one of those kind of boring pros that I go to Rock Corp <laughs> and I do them in the same place. <laughs> like blinders on. Yeah, exactly. I like to be in sort of you know, a controlled environment, something that's familiar when I'm doing the intervals because I just think it's safer mm-hmm. um, in any event. So I'm used to just smashing my intervals out on Rock Corba, right? So I thought, well, ah, we have helped us Zwift. Like, let me go give that a try, you know? And I started to realize, well, just like I do it on Rock Corba, I can do it on Elptus Zwift. You know, I can go up, turn around, come down, go up. Um, so the world just started, the world of Zwift started opening up and I started learning how to use it. And first week you know, was challenging. Second week, a little bit less so because I was learning how to use Zwift, but the, the muscle doms were still there. <laughs> Third week, you know, I took a slightly easier week. You know, coach just decided, let's take it easy, give yourself some recovery. And then the fourth week was when things really started to change. That's when my body really started to adapt to the indoor training. Things were becoming more manageable. My numbers were coming up. So now I was getting closer and closer to the numbers I would hold on the road. And so, you know, I started to see the gains that I was making. And at the same time, I'd really embraced the social world of Zwift. My my riding had become 
more social than it had ever been, you know, in the real world. And I suppose I also started to realize... I love this dog. (laughs) To realize the potential of the virtual world in Mm -hmm. terms of just exposure and reach. Um, Because, you know, it just dawned on me that you can be riding on Zwift and... You know, in the real world, for example, to give exposure to your sponsors, other than, of course, if you're on racing on TV, for people to see the branding on your kit, you have to be in the same place at the same time. But on Zwift, you can be riding in, Wat- in Watobi, for example, and suddenly you're riding with people all around the world, America, South America, Australia, you know, so the, the reach is just insane. And I suppose because we have a business, um, maybe that makes me think a little bit more about these things, you know. So I started to also see the benefit not only for my team sponsors, but for our business. You know, we were in a downtime where no guests could come visit. And I started thinking, well, how do I use um, the reach that I have in the social world, uh, on the Zwift world, how do I use it for our business purposes? You know, so I started hosting rides on Zwift for guests that were supposed to be coming or guests mm-hmm. that had already come. So I started to just see all the potential mm-hmm. um, of the virtual world. Um, and then it came to the first Swift race. And it was actually my manager um, who wanted me to do it. Um, so he's um, he's worked with, with um, Danny King, Danny Rowe, mm-hmm. um, in the past. And so, you know, her husband, Matt Rowe, is one of the coaches for oh, yeah. um, On Zwift. Yep. And so Rowan King is their um, business that they run, coaching business, and they do a lot of stuff on Zwift. And so um, Steve asked me to guest ride for Rowan King um, on a Zwift Classic race. And, you know, although I'd pretty much gotten into the Zwift world um, of training and socializing, it wasn't, it wasn't such an easy adjustment for me to make in terms of virtual racing because I... I was intimidated by it, you know, mm-hmm. I'd watched some of it, obviously after he'd, um, he'd asked me, I, I started to watch it and man, oh man, I mean, it looked, it was super intimidating, like seeing this racing happening on Zwift and seeing the watts, like, watts per kilogram, average yeah. watts per kilogram at the end of the race of like five point something. And I'm like, what? That's insane. It's insane. Like yeah. maybe I can do that on my intervals for, for a short period of time up, up a climb, you know, like a 20 minute effort or something. But I didn't really foresee myself being able to do that for any longer. Like, because some of these races are almost an hour. So I was like, man, how is this possible? (laughs) Anyways, after some serious convincing from from Steve's side, eventually I was like, okay, well, I'll give it a go. And of course it helped that the first race was on a good circuit for me. So it ended up that Bologna steep um, Mm. climb. And Mm -hmm. I've actually raced it in the real world as well. Yeah. and so, yeah, I gave it a go, but on the start line, I must say, I felt like, like, you know, like I felt the first time I ever did a road race, you know, my heart was racing. Yeah. I was super nervous. I felt like such a novice. <laughs> and I even remember like typing in the, in the messages, like, Hey everyone, I'm super nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no man, you'll be fine. You know, so everyone was really great. All the other, um, you know, Zwift pros as such. And yeah, the race started and I knew, you know, I tried to get my head around this, you know, the power-ups, the delay, because there's a delay, you know, so when, you know, you have to always be sort of anticipating, like, it takes three seconds response um, in the game. So I knew, okay, well, 
when you start a Zwift race, you have to almost start sprinting, you know, because then as soon as the race starts, you're already going. So I got all revved up, started my sprint. And as the race started, I just shot off the front of the peloton because <laughs> I was a bit too excited. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, okay. Um, let's slow down. And then I went right to the back, you know, yeah. and then sped up again right off the front. So it was like this yo-yo thing. And then, uh, you know, after a few minutes, I managed to kind of get control of this and get my place in the bunch. And then we hit this climb for the first time. And I started going up it and I was like, wow, actually, you know, this is pretty similar to what I've raced in, in real life. So suddenly I could make this connection, you know, to mm. what I'd experienced before. And I got on the front and I set the pace and I managed to just, you know, drop rider after rider after rider so by the time we got to the top i think there were 10 of us and so this was the breakaway that we'd formed um and so then i'd really gotten the hang of it i was really into it and hitting the climb for the final time you know then i could again really use my experience from the real world and i knew you know the corner on this climb which was a really great place to attack and so that's what i did and i attacked and i got away and i won the race mm -hmm. and you know, crossing the finish line in the virtual world um, on my indoor trainer with family around me, <laughs> it was a pretty cool feeling, you know. Yeah. It, it was the same as winning a road race, you know. It was the same adrenaline kick. You know, I, I from the start, have always taken it, you know, as seriously, but also as fun. So as soon as I crossed the finish line, I put my hands up in the air as I would like on a road race. Why not? You know, <laughs> let's enjoy the moment. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I have to say that after that, I was, I was pretty much hooked. Um, so I saw the virtual Ronda race happen uh, with the men for the Flanders. And that's when I thought, well, we need to have more of this, you know, like if we can't be racing in the real world, this is great opportunity for our team, sponsors, everything. Let's, you know, we, we need to get a race for the women. And so that's when I actually started getting in touch with Zwift to say, we need a race for the women. And I actually even reached out to some of my peers, you know, you know, would you buy, would you take part? What's the buy-in from, from my peers? And I managed to get quite a good response from, from most of, of my colleagues. So I went to Zwift with that kind of feedback and I can't take total credit for, for the racing that happened on Zwift, but I think it did help that mm -hmm. they had some positive feedback from, from a road pro. And so that's where it all started, you know, tour for all the virtual tour de France, and to this day, I, I really, really enjoy racing on Zwift. Yeah, and you, you're, I, I don't know if I would say complaints, but I can't think of the right word, but more like um, the issues surrounding women's cycling that you talked about earlier, about equality and knowing right away when you got into cycling, like there is this massive gap between women's cycling and men's cycling. Zwift really bridges that very well. Because for them, it's it's no really skin off their back to have both the men's race and a women's exactly. race that are the same length have the same amount of coverage, everything is the same. Yeah. And it went, I mean, it went really, really well for them having all of those races over the lockdown and then continuing them afterwards. Yeah. So that, yeah. I, that must be kind of another, yeah. Like cherry on top of what is all Exactly. This. It's a huge motivation for me. So if there's, you know, other than, if there's no other reason to support virtual racing, a very good reason to support it is the fact that it, it presents equality, you mm -hmm. know, for men and women. And I think, I think it's, it's important to actually give credit to Zwift for that because, um, they made it their mission that, that they would only do everything they've ever done on Zwift has been equal, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was really important for them uh, from the onset that they wouldn't do anything unless it was 100% equal. 
And I think that that's been really important if we if we consider the virtual Tour de France. So, you know, the Tour de France has been a big issue for for women's cycling. You know, the the fact that the ASO just don't really care for women's cycling, and the fact that they're just super aggressive. ASO are super aggressive. They only want to do something that makes them money, and they don't. You know, they realize that maybe women's cycling could make money in the long term. They do, they don't even want to take the risk of having to invest upfront mm-hmm. for the now. To benefit in the long term. Um, so, anyways, even if we've had the Lacourse race, it's always been a bit of um, it's been a difficult one for me, the Lacourse, because although it is great to have a women's race at the Tour de France, I've always had this feeling that it's just been a consolation prize. Like we'll just do as little as possible to keep everyone happy, and even just the the fact that. Um, it has to have its own name. So we were never, like the Tour de France name was never really associated with with women's cycling, you know. Mm-hmm. So even with La Course, it was La Course by the Tour de France. And the Tour de France Twitter pages or any of their social media platforms never mentioned the La Course race. There was never any exposure on those channels for the La Course race. So although we had obviously live TV coverage, there was no real proper promotion that I felt really gave us the full benefit of of being part of the Tour de France, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Um, and so for the first time in 2020, in the middle of a COVID pandemic, because Wift said, we will only do this if it's equal for men and women, the ASO had no option. If they wanted mm-hmm. to use Wift, which was the best platform at the time, they had to do it for men and women. And for the first time in years, suddenly, the Tour de France name was associated with the women as well as the men. It was the virtual Tour de France for the men and for the women. Yeah. And it was pretty, for me, that was some, it was really huge, you know, having 100% equality associated to the Tour de France name. Um, and I, I, to this day, I still kind of feel like it wasn't given the credit that it really deserved, you know, that, that there still hasn't really been that penny drop moment for for so many of of my colleagues and even people involved in women's cycling that, mm-hmm. that that's really huge you know and if that's just one reason to get behind the virtual racing it's a very good reason it's true uh, yeah yeah a lot of people like one of the main arguments that and a lot of the the problems that that people have with the virtual racing is the comparison to racing on the road yeah. for example drafting mm-hmm. and things like that and i think th- the way that you're saying it sounds like it is very similar with while still being a very different yeah. beast to tackle kind of yeah well i so that is the big problem is that it's being compared and i don't think it should be compared that's so, like comparing men's cycling women's cycling when they're totally different things or road cycling to track yeah. i mean they're totally different disciplines or mm-hmm. road cycling to mountain biking it's it's all forms of cycling but they're different disciplines and that's why i'm actually quite happy that it's now been recognized as its own discipline because mm-hmm. that's the way it should be mm-hmm. and i don't i don't i don't want it to be compared to road cycling um, because it is a totally different discipline. And yeah, I mean, if we look into it, it is a game at the end of the day. And there are going to be some things like, of course, the draft effect is maybe not, well, it's certainly not 100% accurate because 
it's great while you're in the bunch, but as soon as you get dropped, it's impossible, almost impossible to get back. So that is one well, of the issues. that's the experience I have with real racing too. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it can be true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I don't know. People can criticize the draft effect, but at the end of the day, I think um, what makes Swift so cool is the fact that there are all these elements. You know, there's the draft effect, there's the power-ups. Whereas a lot of the other platforms is purely power to weight. So I think let's give some credit where credit is due. And it is quite an exciting platform, but it's, it is its own discipline. And, um, you know, it's interesting to think like, why, why do certain people perform well on it and others not? Um, why is it, there's not such a, a big crossover between road pros being good on, on Zwift. And there's various reasons. I mean, I think one of the biggest reasons why is because of the mentality. Like, if you want to be good on Zwift, you, you have to you have to want to race it. You have to want to suffer. You know. So if you're gonna get on your indoor trainer and line up on the start line of a Zwift race, and you have any reservations around virtual racing, then you may as well not start because then your mentality is wrong. You know. Mm-hmm. We call it the send it or save it mentality. You have to send it. You have to send it. And from the word go. So, and that's another reason why possibly it doesn't suit so many road pros because it's probably better suited to cross-country mountain bikers, you know, people who do crit racing or I don't know, even track cyclists because, you know, you start hard. It's your heart rate goes up immediately. It stays up the entire race. It's never longer than an hour and a half is the longest race I've ever done maybe two hours on Zwift, then maybe it calms down. But most of them are short. They're sharp. You know, you you get going. It's brutal. And then it's over fast, you know. Yeah. Um, And like I said in the beginning, I thought it was impossible to hold over five watts per kilogram for more than an hour. But I've done Zwift races where I've held, I think, 5.3, 5.4, I think is more or less the, the, you know, the highest I've, I've averaged. But that's pretty hectic, and I never thought I, I could do it, but mm-hmm. I have proven my, to myself that I can. You know, yeah. So if you embrace it and you go with it and you embrace the suffering, you can do it. You know, But if you come in there and you're like, oh, I'm not sure, then you may as well not start. Because the moment you get three meters, you know, drop by three meters, then that, that elastic snaps and you're off the bunch, and then you may as well just stop. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I suppose... I also perform well on it because you know, I've always been the type of cyclist that has really good power power to weight numbers. So that's how I actually got into the sport late stage. <laughs> you know, I was already in my twenties. I mean, so how was how was I my talent identified? Well, it was identified through power tests mm. and having a good power to weight. So you know, it's no secret that that I have a great power to weight. And actually, the reason why I quite like racing on Zwift is because. It's all about that, you know. So if you have good numbers, you're going to perform on Zwift. Um, But if you have good numbers, you don't necessarily perform well on the road. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is often, you know, tactics, you know, race savvy, race instinct. And those are the things that come much easier to people that have been racing since they were five or six. You know, for someone who gets into sport later in life, it's something that I've really had to learn and I've had to try to learn fast. Mm -hmm. And to this day, you know, maybe now I'm starting to get to that thousand hours, you know, where I can say, okay, now things are really clicking. But, you know, I'm always going to be different to Mariana Voss in that aspect. You know, Mm -hmm. she's raced since she was 
five. I only started racing when I was 22, you know. It's a big difference. So when you get on to Zwift, you know, there is some tactics involved and you need to know how to use the game and how the power-ups work and what is the best time to push the power-up and all this type of stuff. But at the end of the day, if you've got good numbers, you'll perform. Mm-hmm. And there's very little that will get in the way. There's obviously if you have a Wi-Fi dropout, which has happened to me <laughs> before during the, one of the Tour de France stages, actually. Oh, sad. Um, but other than that, there's very little to stop you from performing. If we even, you know, go into the nitty-gritties of like um, bikes and bike weights, um, you know, that's a big thing in, in road cycling at the moment with the minimum bike weight rule. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a huge disadvantage for small female cyclists. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not joking. Yeah, yeah. Because if, if you look at 6.8 kgs, so um, if you say it's for sure based on the average weight of a male, so mm-hmm. let's say it's based on 68 kilograms, the average weight of a male is 6.8, 68 kilograms, it means it's 10% of, of their weight, their mm-hmm. body weight. Now, if you're looking at myself, my aggressive race weight is 49 kilograms. So it means I should be riding a bike that's 4.9 kgs, but I'm racing one that's 6.8 yeah. kgs. Yeah. So it's almost two kilograms more, you know? So it's a huge, it's a huge disadvantage. If you go do the scientific calculations and you, you have a two kilogram weight penalty, we're talking about minutes after it, up a 10k climb at nine percent you know not just seconds so not that i I mean it's something i can't i can't change it is what it is but you get onto zwift and all of that is nullified you know so then your power to weight is your power to weight based on your body weight yeah um so it's all these these little things that i think a lot of people don't really take the time to consider or to really give much thought with with the Zwift, so I do. I'm going to ask you about your virtual team because that's really cool, mm. um, and I've not heard about it yet. So <laughs> I don't know if if you're allowed to talk about it yet fully. Are you? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm. It's it's no real secret. Um, we've already kind of started to launch it. So Rocket Corp Cycling Sports Team. Sweet. Um, and so we've started. Um, you know, in Zwift, you just like any um, real world racing, you need you need to have riders with points, and you need to to get a certain ranking before you can move to the Premier League. So the Premier mm-hmm. League is kind of their top league. Um, in- invitation, invitational league. Yeah. An invitational league, exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, we are in the process now of kind of just doing community races. So the idea is to have, a, a, we'll start off with a professional women's team, esports team, because it's just the easiest point for me because obviously being a, a pro female cyclist but obviously aspiration would be to have men and women um, but the idea is for the next sort of swift season which is kind of seen from running october to march every year so hopefully by october this year we can have a, a women's professional rock corp cycling esports team that would um, qualify for the premier league so we need to look at signing the right riders to have the right points uh, but i also want to use it um, my vision for it is also to use it as um like a development platform, especially for South African cyclists at the moment, because there's huge barriers, you know, for South African women to to sort of take that next step to become a pro in Europe. It's really, really difficult for various mm-hmm. reasons. And so um, one of the ways in which I think, um, you know, this kind of could be like a bridging um, strategy for, for some of the girls to to race on Zwift and to get some exposure on Zwift uh, or in the virtual world. And then hopefully that enables them to eventually make, make the next step to the road. So I wanted to have a development aspect, but of course we'll need good riders if we want to be successful. And 
and win races. So um, that's the goal. But in the meantime, we've already started with a community team. So we race every Tuesday night, we race the community races. Um, at the moment, we're doing it mostly from here. So we're using either guests that are staying here or my husband, Carl and Ed, who also works for us. Um, but hopefully it's going to grow over time and then we'll have people joining us from other parts of the world also Sweet. racing the community races. So it's going to be a, a professional aspect, but also a community aspect. That's really cool. Yeah. One of my favorite things about you winning the Zwift worlds or the eSport cycling world championship was like afterwards when <laughs> it was like, there's, you had your family there and you had the champagne and it was your birthday. And like, I was like, man, that's the best way to win a race. Like you're literally just surrounded by the people you, you want there. Yeah. It's not like a bunch of crazy reporters shoving things, shoving microphones in your face and like fans trying to get near you and stuff like that. It's like your husband is there your friends are there you have yeah. a bottle of champagne there that you got to pick out and you don't have to like you did spray it <laughs> and in my mind i was like oh the cleaning <laughs> yeah i got a lot of comments about that um yeah so that's the interesting thing about esports is so unlike obviously real world racing where you um you, you can read and see the body language you're right there with all your your um your competition mm -hmm. now you can't see your competition at all <laughs> other than when they ran Somebody, yeah. which has no emotional expressions yeah. or, or anything like that. I'm really pushing for Zwift to like integrate some kind of emotions onto the faces of the, yeah. that would be really like watching right now you're watching and you're kind of like, I feel like they're suffering and I want them to look like they're suffering. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then you have all the people that matter mm -hmm. right there with you. And even for example, I have my dog, you know, Luna, who's yeah. like my avid Zwift supporter. Even when I'm <laughs> up there training on my own, she lies in the room, you know, Aww. waiting for me um, to finish. So yeah, that's really cool to have those people around. Um, mm -hmm. And like, like I said, we've always taken it at Rock Corp Cycling. We've always taken it 100% seriously. So whenever I race on Zwift, um, you know, Ed, who works for us, he's literally my race director. So, you know, he takes the time to understand the course as well. Mm -hmm. We talk about our strategy beforehand. You know, we go upstairs. Um, Carl is always there with everything that I need, especially in the summer. You know, he was handing me ice socks to put in my neck, you know, and, and putting ice towels on me. You know, so we take it seriously. We, yeah. You know, it's not that I just go and get up there and nobody pays attention. You know, everyone's in. We're all we're all ready to race. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, with the, the victory with the Esports World Champs, I mean, it was pretty cool because it was my birthday. And, you know, I had been taking this whole power to weight thing quite seriously. So I had been on sort of my, you know, diet to make sure that I'm at a good race weight um, for the Zwift World Champs. And now it was finally time to celebrate. <laughs> you know, so it was actually pretty spontaneous. It wasn't planned. Luckily, we have um, champagne around because we are a guest establishment. So, <laughs> you know, I just said, I said to Carl, where's the champagne? You know, and he ran downstairs and he got a bottle of champagne. And, um, yeah, so it was actually, it was all very spontaneous. And yeah, unfortunately, I wasted most of the bottle by spraying it. <laughs> and luckily... 
Yeah, the mess. It wasn't too bad. I mean, the place where I where I swift is what would have been a, a barn space beforehand. Mm-hmm. So the floor was easy to clean, and uh, that was just my like. It my, was worth it. My, I was because <laughs> I watched the clip of you spraying the champagne probably like thirty times because I was trying to get the perfect screenshot for the race report. <laughs> yeah, and and the thought that just kept going through my head was like, oh man, it's gonna be so sticky. <laughs> <laughs> and my laptop. I did think about my laptop <laughs> because it was all a. I think Orla said that on the live coverage, yeah. not the laptop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean that is a really cool thing about about e racing that I think that people don't um, don't really think about, like kind of the the very behind the scenes part, which is like when you're a professional cyclist, you're traveling all the time, you're never with your family, you're always on the road, and you're not ne- you never sleep in your own bed. And with esports, it's like completely the opposite. You can be doing everything from home. Yeah. You, I mean, the training hours are a lot less. You don't need to go out and do five hour rides. Exactly. And I mean, I don't know. For me, the benefits just keep sounding better. And better. Yeah, but that's the thing. But it's a different. It's a different discipline, and so it's going to. Mm-hmm attract different people there might be some crossover and so that's the important thing with esports is yeah. that, and that's what i'm actually having discussions with the uci and even zwift about is that you know it shouldn't be targeted at the road pros you know so um the motivation shouldn't be how do we get the road pros to to buy in it should be this is our discipline if you like it please join but if not whoever else wants to do it you know it's going to be a new crowd as mm-hmm. such you know and um What's interesting for me is that, you know, I got into cycling later in life. So I've been a pro now for for 10 years and I'm 35. So I'm not getting any younger, yet I still feel like I'm at the prime of my career, you know. Mm -hmm. So in terms of development and numbers, I'm still, I haven't plateaued, you know, there's, there's still, I'm still improving from from year to year. And so it's it's kind of a, a frustrating point for me right now because I want to have a family, you know, I, I want to have kids. And the, so the clock is ticking. Um, but so that means that my road career on as a pro is limited because, as you say, you know, you have to travel, you know, there's the team aspect of it. Um, so I've signed two years with SD Works and that, as it is now, will be the end of, of my road career. So I don't want to sign another uh, contract with a road team. But now with the pandemic and the esports and you know the way I've embraced it and been successful on it, I I see well, my career doesn't have to end. You know, it could just be starting when it comes to to esports. So it's yeah. it's quite a cool thought because I I can go ahead with a family. I I could even have a baby and be racing. You know, um, baby's asleep. I don't need to train as much as you say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do it from your own home and. Yeah race from your own home so yeah it's a it's a cool opportunity for for some people yeah yeah and as you say like it, the real damage being done to esports is kind of the comparison to road exactly where that's like uh, like i said earlier the comparison of men's and women's you just can't you can't compare the two and you're always going to have the haters you know or the naysayers oh, yeah. and like i've just learned to to you know water off a duck's back you know i'm actually I think that there's a big future for esports. Um, I think there's a lot of benefits, especially for women cycling. So not necessarily the same for men cycling. And so I'm really proud to be an early adopter because, you know, 
at the moment, I feel like I'm ahead of the rest because at some point, everyone's going to have to to accept it. So I'm quite happy to be one of the one of the first ones to do so. And you're the first ever esports cycling world champion. Does that <laughs> exactly. mean every time you ride Zwift, do you get a world champion kit? Well, I still don't have the kit yet, to be honest, <laughs> um, which is quite surprising. People find it quite hard to to understand. They're like, come on, it can't be so difficult. Um, but there's been some sort of uh, gray area or red tape that's um, had to be sort of, yeah, I don't know, acknowledged and, you know, decided the way forward. So um, I should be able very shortly to get onto Zwift and to be riding in my world champion jersey. Mm-hmm. So it should be a matter of days. I also know that I'm supposed to be receiving because I have the DHL communication. There should be a, a, a real-life version uh, arriving at the house and in, in hopefully by tomorrow. Sweet. I want to see more champagne. <laughs> Maybe go in the courtyard. And do so it. I got an official letter from the, <laughs> the UCI that states exactly how and when I can wear it. So I'm allowed to wear the real-life um, version of the jersey mm-hmm. whenever I'm on the indoor trainer. And um, I'm also allowed to to wear the virtual jersey whenever I'm riding on Swift. Sweet, awesome. And I do want to talk about SD Works because that's really exciting. You're going from, I mean, you've you've always been on top teams and really really good teams. And last year, your your teammate was Mariana Voss, so like arguably one of the best cyclists of all time. Yeah. Um, and now you're on the top team, yeah. one of the best teams in the world with the the road world champion of both disciplines and like surrounded by these amazing women. How does that kind of feel at this stage in your career to have kind of burst that bubble, I guess, and made it onto that team? Yeah, well, it's a really awesome opportunity. It's actually, I think it's a story that, that, that needs to be told um, because it's, yeah, it's quite an interesting one. So actually, I was um, approached by Danny Stam to sign already at the end of the 2013 season. So he wanted to sign me uh, for the 2014 season and and beyond. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got quite far in the negotiations with him. um, And then at the end of the day, I turned him down and purely because of the bike (laughs) that they were on. And then the story gets even better. So at the time he was... Um, still the AA drinks team or whatever, and they were on Dolan bikes. Mm-hmm. And so I'm quite particular about my equipment. And so I I was too snooty about it and like, oh, I can't ride a Dolan bike. Um, <laughs> and then um, I, I decided to sign for high tech, which in the end didn't work out very well for me. Um, but at the end of that 2013 season, quite late in the season, he signed Ellen van Dijk. And mm. along with that came Specialized. So it was one of those like, oh man, how did I mess this one up so badly? <laughs> and actually, Danny was pretty angry with me, to be honest. Fair enough. You mm-hmm. know, I was quite immature in those days. Um, you know, it was early in my career. And, you know, in terms of contract negotiations, I was quite green. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, quite rightly so. I'd taken him quite far down the line. And then I just said no. And I didn't really give him proper reason why. Mm-hmm. And so he was pretty mad. And so I thought, well, there you go. I've, I've destroyed any opportunity <laughs> with Danny and his team for the future. And so, you know, I've spent, you know, the, these past couple of years, you know, always admiring the team because it's always, it's always been an amazing team, you know, from the outside world number one team. And it's just amazing mm-hmm. how they managed to, to have s- such great riders on the team, such a stacked roster. But, 
you know, everybody gets opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. they just race in such a psych- in such an exciting and dynamic way. So, you know, I've always looked at it and thought, well, you know, I messed up my chances, you know, that was my, that's on me, you know. And then, uh, you know, during the COVID pandemic, I actually got a, 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 a message from Danny quite early already in May, um, sort of saying, well, if you're interested, you know, I'd like to chat. And my immediate response to him when I got that message, well, firstly, I was like, wow, <laughs> Danny's got in touch, you know. Okay, he was really mad, but then, you know, he got over it and we would greet each other and stuff. It's not like we mm-hmm. were walking around with all this hostility for years and years and years. <laughs> but I just kind of thought I'd messed it up. Like, he's never going to ask me again. And when I got this message in May of a pandemic year, I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, I have a chance. This is a sign. This is my end. <laughs> yeah, this is a sign. It's meant to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I actually wrote to Danny immediately saying, oh wow Danny really great to hear from you because I thought I'd messed up my chances with you when I turned you down in at the end of 2013 and he came back and he said yes I was really mad about that (laughs) but but I'm over it now so if you'd like to chat it would be great you know I love that you like you got that out of the way yeah I got it out of the way (laughs) like (laughs) the elephant in the room yeah exactly um and so yeah I mean it was a no-brainer um to join the SD Works team as as I've already um you know mentioned I'm a big equipment person you know bikes wheels bearings I suppose it comes from my engineering background um so specialized i mean come on it's an Mm -hmm. amazing bike brand and um yeah just an amazing team as i said i had i had quite a few conversations with danny before i signed and just immediately i could get just this feeling that you know he's a great he's a great um, team director he knows how to get the best out of out of all his athletes thought well this is a great way to end off my road career you know to be on the best team in the world on the best equipment surrounded by amazing staff and amazing riders yeah that's been my my immediate feeling since you know first training camp done and what an amazing environment I mean such accomplished you know riders all in their own right but it's just amazing when we're all in the same room you know everyone's equal we all have fun Uh, Mm -hmm. we're serious when we need to be serious but then you know have fun along the way and yeah I'm really really happy the the thing that I've always admired about about Bulls Nolman's SC Works as a team yeah. is that they they seem to be able to just turn it on and turn it off. Yeah, um, which is of course what you see on social media and kind of what you see from the media uh, around the team. But you can tell that they're really really serious when they're racing the race and like none of them look like they're having any fun, mm-hmm. but they're getting the job done mm. and. I, I feel like it takes a lot internally for a team like that to be able to have a rider like Anna Vandebregen on the team and have someone who could win every single race, but her be able to do what she did at Flanders and be like, nope, this isn't my t- my time. Yeah. And hand it over to her teammates. Well, that's that's something yeah to talk about because Anna is really an amazing person. So, you know, my... You know, I, I've, I've always known Anna in that, you know, we chat, greet each other on the bike, but I've never really been um, close to her in any mm-hmm. other way. And so now having come from the first training camp and I was I was rooming with her, so I was her roommate, which was a great opportunity to get to know her even better. And she's just such an incredible person, you know, mm-hmm. um, such an accomplished rider, but so, so humble. And just, you know, immediately her willingness to to 
open up, to share information, um, to give feedback on just her impression of me as a writer, for example. Like we had a conversation um, and she, she said to me, you know what, Ashley, because she said, you know, she said, what do you want to get out of this year? You know, um, what do you want to improve? Um, you know, how do you see, what are your goals? And so, you know, I said, I, you know, I touched on and said, I want, I want to win more bike races, <laughs> of course. Yep. <laughs> um, and I said, you know, I, I've made some mistakes in the past. I'm starting to recognize what they are. But she said to me, well, Ashley, if I can give you feedback, I'm going to tell you now that there's been so many times when you've put in such an amazing uh, move, you know, and you've had me literally on the rivet, like about <laughs> to drop, but you've just stopped just a few seconds too early, you know, mm -hmm. and that's allowed me to to, you know, get back on your wheel, compose myself, and then the race, you know, goes another direction. She's like, if you just kept going for a little bit longer, you would have dropped me. And, um, you know, that kind of, it's, it's a hard one, you know, to hear. But then at the same time, I recognize that that is exactly what I've been doing wrong. Is In the past, especially, for example, on Cervelo Begler, you know, it was a great team, and I, I learned a lot, even though, you know, Thomas gets some interesting um exposure you know um i worked well with him and it's very political way to very po politically <laughs> correct way to <laughs> exactly but <laughs> i have to be honest i worked well with him obviously we had our, our our difficult times and times where when things didn't go well and i disagreed with with things that he was doing but reality mm -hmm. is he is a very dynamic person and i learned a lot from him so mm -hmm. the the improvement you know i, I came to his team as kind of knocking on the door but I hadn't made it and he was he was the guy that helped me break through that door and I, I learned a lot from him so I'm forever grateful and even the challenges that I faced on his team has has formed me as a person anyways um, I, I that team I had a lot of responsibility you know and maybe that was my own fault to be honest that's possibly the person that well it is the person that I am but because I was pretty much the strongest rider on the team for most of the career of the team, I I kind of took the responsibility that that everything was on my shoulders, you know. And so I think what that did mean is is that I often race too conservatively. So um, and this is information that I even shared with Anna. Like most of my like if I get all my good my best numbers, they're all in training. They're they're not in racing, and that's actually very uncommon to to you know races like Anna's like wow that's crazy because all my best numbers are in racing so it's just an indication that I I'm always holding something back you know um and I think that this had a lot to do with the fact with of that I was taking all the responsibility so instead of continuing for a couple of more seconds at the risk of possibly blowing I would rather stop and hold back so that I could finish second or third or fourth or fifth. I knew I'd always be able to finish somewhere up there, <laughs> but I did that at the risk of winning. And then that was actually part of the reason why I changed team to go to CCC because I thought, well, maybe this is an opportunity, you know, sharing leadership with Mariana Voss. <laughs> the wind, wind is, is crazy. nuts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sharing leadership with Mariana Voss that, you know, that this would be my opportunity to take more risks. You know, it was wonderful being on CCC Live and on a team with Mariana, but I don't know what it was, but it just, things never really came together for me um, on that team. And I, I don't have an exact reason why. Um, you know, it was just a tough two years, bad luck, lots of crashes, illness, 
good people, um, but I just never managed to get the best out of myself on that team for various reasons. And so now to have this opportunity to race on on the best team in the world and with so many you know strong riders, I'm really hoping that you know my intention um, or my ambition is to to race more freely and to take those chances because now like I think you know there are three or four riders. If I do, if I fail, there's at least three or four or even five other options um, right. to win the race. Man, that's so cool. Like in what other sport do you kind of become teammates with one of your biggest rivals to and have them be able to say like this is what you were doing wrong? Exactly. And now that we're on the same team, I can tell you like this is what you did wrong. Exactly. And you would have beat me if you'd done something but different. It's so incredible and that speaks so much for Anna, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible, like you said, how, and she's done it not only at Flanders, she's done it at other races before where she can so easily win, win the race, but she doesn't. She supports her teammates yeah. and helps them to win. And I think, I think now, you know, of course, she's achieved so much on the bike and for sure she, she's a race winner. She's still hungry to win. So mm-hmm. that hasn't changed. Um, but she definitely, you can see that she is starting to, to make that evolution or that change in her mindset that she, um, you know, this after this season, she goes into in a management position. And it's like she's starting to kind of, you know, talk more about because she's going to be team director in the second mm-hmm. year of, of, of my contract. So yeah. you can see how she's slowly but surely even starting to make that that kind of change in her mindset already, you know, opening up, talking about training, talking about ambitions and goals. I, I really admire her for for the way she she handles all these situations. I am so glad she's staying in the sport because I, I think that a lot of times this sport kind of beats people down Yeah. and, um, by the time someone retires, they just want nothing to do with it anymore. And I know so many amazing women who have, who would have been like incredible role models for the, for the up and coming riders and stuff like that. But that by the time they kind of got to the end, they were just like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want to do anything having to do with cycling anymore. I'm out. That would have made like amazing directors or, or coaches or even like mental, mental coaches. And, and so it's, it really is cool that she's staying on. Yeah. And even just the whole, you know, Danny's whole ambition at the moment with the team. So it's not only Anna, it's Chantel as well. And, yeah. And then just even the way, you know, we've taken on Shara Gillo as our, um, you know, our chef slash nutrition expert. Mm-hmm. So it's really great. You know, the team's really making an effort to, to you know, evolve women's cycling in that way that, that more past pros are, are getting hands-on involved in management yeah. and yeah, running of the team. I think you just have to, as I said, like if you really like embrace it and see the, you know, the benefit that it has, especially for women cycling, I, maybe I, I understand if men don't want to accept it. I, I've just seen what it means for the growth of women cycling. So not only in terms of equality, you know, in equal races, equal exposure, that type of stuff, but just in terms of, um, you know, I was hosting a, um, a women's only ride for Live, um, which I started during the pandemic and then, you know, continued throughout the year. And so mm-hmm. the last ride that I hosted was on the 28th of November before, you know, I did the official switch to the new team. And um, it was just so amazing this to see how this community of women grew. And my objective with this ride was always to keep it, you know, social ride 
2.5 watts per kilogram. The idea was always for me, obviously, for it to be a recovery ride, to use the opportunity to really engage with with women, you know, to answer questions, to chat, you know, to talk about, you know, issues like you know, bike related or kit related or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was really always fun. You know, we'd have this easy ride and chat about anything from you know, how to climb better out the saddle or what chamois cream to use to what we're cooking for dinner, you know, at night, you know. And it was really great to see how this this ride and community grew. So even when I started racing in the real world and couldn't host every week, I'd already grown this this community of women who were just so ready to take over and help, you know, mm-hmm. and help me lead the rides that I couldn't. And then on the 28th of December, like the last ride I did, it was 300 women, you know, so it's just amazing to have seen how this had grown. And it really yeah. opened my eyes a lot, you know, talking to the woman on the ride um, to, you know, you know, what what stops women, you know, from, for example, like if I had to host a ride um, as a pro, you know, join me for a ride, you know, most of the time it's 80% men. So mm-hmm. why, why is it only 20% of the women coming or what's stopping women from, from riding their bikes? And I started to realize that, you know, the virtual world or um, indoor cycling is so attractive to women because, number one, it's safe. So it could be the physical safety. So like coming from a country like South Africa where riding your bike on the road, safety is a challenge. So the physical safety of it, the practicality of it, you know, just, you know, hop on your bike for an hour while the kids are doing their homework or whatever it is or babies napping. It's quick, easy um, to access, but then also... The, the safety that they feel in terms of um, one lady made a comment on the ride, which she said, my avatar has no shame. And that's when the penny really dropped for me, you know, that I think often women are so nervous to, to, or to get on the bike in the real world or to join pros or other groups because they, they don't want to be embarrassed, they don't want to be um, the weak link or whatever it is. But as soon as they get into the virtual world, suddenly there's no shame if they can't keep up. They just mm-hmm. get off the annual training and nobody even notices. Yeah. You, know, you know, there's no, it's just the avatar, you know, but no, <laughs> nobody actually sees them in real life. Yeah. Or, you know, so I've just realized it's got so much potential growing women cycling. Maybe it grows women, some of these women start on Zwift and then they um, develop the confidence to to do outdoor riding and maybe some of them don't ever go outdoors because they just love indoors. The fact of the matter is our goal should be to get more women on bikes, you know, because I believe cycling is a real form of empowerment for women, you know, that through riding your bike, you grow in confidence, you know, and mm-hmm. growing in strength on the, on the bike uh, relates to growing in confidence and in strength as a, as a woman in general. For me, that's really awesome. And who cares the men who, who don't appreciate it for, for those reasons, but it's good for women's cycling. Yeah. And I mean, that's like kind of the, the market that is relatively untapped that people are kind of realizing now in the last, I feel two years, women's cycling has started to grow, blow up a little bit more or not even professional cycling, but just women riding bikes. Like yeah. there, there are times when I'm back home in Colorado and I'll go on a ride. I only see women Mm. and it's really cool. It's this, it's this whole market of people that are finding that cycling is a, is a form of, um, exercise that isn't quite as difficult as running. Yeah. And isn't as hard on your body as running. Yeah. And you can be more social 
because, you know, you can stop for a coffee and, and it, it's a longer amount of time that you're out really yeah. like in order to get out, get in a good workout you still, you still can get really fit doing yeah. it. I don't know. It's really interesting that, um, the growth in women's cycling is there and it's kind of like the market hasn't quite caught it yet. Yeah. Um, the, the, like, I don't know, bigger cycling companies and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, for me, it's really exciting to see the growth that that esports presents for women cycling. So yeah, that's what makes me excited. <laughs> All right, that was the second freewheeling episode of 2021. I will be back in two weeks, hopefully with Lauren. Who knows? It seems like there's more women's stuff in the news lately. There's kit reveals that we have to talk about. There's races postponed and canceled as we probably should have seen coming. And yeah, the season is starting to um, loom, but also look a little bit um, of, a, of a very large question mark. If you didn't get to hear the regular Cycling Tips episode, um, I actually chatted with Annemiek Van Vluten in this week's, so uh, it was January 19th's episode of the regular cycling tips podcast i chatted with anamie van vluten briefly about her her new team and her new atmosphere and her plans for the year so i also recommend checking out that and and listening to that interview and yeah thank you so much for supporting the podcast and for supporting cycling tips and i'll be back so have a good two weeks